Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez My Best Teacher podcast with me, Dan Worth. Today's guest is author and current children's laureate, Cressida Cow, best known for writing several hugely popular children's book series, including How to Train Your Dragon, which was turned into a Hollywood movie franchise, and The Wizards of Once and the Emily Brown series, among many others. She chatted to us about her school days, including how a simple act by a teacher set her on a course to writing success, the difficulty of not being a well-organised student throughout school, the joy of performing in plays, and why she's urging the government to do more to guarantee funding for primary school libraries. All that and lots more in the latest My Best Teacher podcast from Tez. Hi, Cressida. Welcome to the My Best Teacher podcast. Really great to chat with you. Let's kick off then, obviously. Memories of primary school. I mean, it's interesting so far, guests have had either very clear and vivid memories of primary school, I found, or, or very hazy and hard to sort of really recall some in, with great detail. What, what camp do you fall into, do you think? Oh, I think I remember it pretty well. I mean, I think being a children's book writer, you have to have, to have mm. a, 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 a quite a good memory for what it felt like to be a child. So, yeah, so I'm kind of relying on that yeah. <laughs> for, my, for my work. Yes, yeah, so I've got very clear memories of, of primary school and of being a child. And I can remember very much how, how it made me feel. Um, and mm. that, that is something that I, um, I think you have to have. Is that remembering what it felt like to be a child is absolutely key for a children's book writer. Yeah. And um, where was this primary school then? And, and you, you know, was it a happy place or a place you thought about with fondness and good, good times? I have wonderful, I have mixed memories, uh, definitely very positive memories. It was a, it was a um, all girls uh, primary in Hammersmith called mm. Butte House. And it was, uh, um, it, it was, and I then went on to, it was the sort of junior school for a school called St. Paul's, which is very feminist and quite, um, and Butte was quite open, but it was still for me, because I was a very disorganised little girl, um, I, I felt a little bit stressed there as 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 a child because i just, mm. i'm i wasn't a naturally schooly type child i would say despite being <laughs> i guess despite being very smart <laughs> <laughs> very clever and interested in learning i was yes. interested in learning i was a huge reader and um but i really struggled with organisation i didn't have a learning difficulty i wasn't dyslexic although my sister who went to the same school was dyslexic and so i very much empathise with children who are dyslexic and in wizards of once my hero wish is dyslexic even though it's the bronze ages mm. um because i know how hard it can be to fit in i wasn't dyslexic but i was so profoundly disorganised that i was constantly in trouble mm. um so there were wonderful things about the school in that the teaching was interesting. And as I say, it was very feminist and children just absorb these things without realising. Um, uh, and inspirational. And um, But I, I, it was pressured. It was academic, I felt. Mm. Um, and so, and I was often in trouble. So yes. mixed feelings. Right. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> you, you, raise, you raise a good point, don't you? Like the organisation of school is something that, you know, it is a lot for children like to remember which books and which class to be in. And obviously, I guess there's a certain point where that sort of turns into, you know, you do have to remember it all for yourself versus the teachers helping you. But it is a, it's something that, you know, like for someone like yourself, you admit, you know, it was difficult. It shows, doesn't it, that that sort of, 
the pressure of the adult world of being organized and remembering where you have to be and what to do and all these sort of things. It can be quite hard from a young age to deal with that. Um, looking back, I probably do <laughs> because, because there are children differ and there's a sort of normal level of disorganization, but I would say my level of, of organization wasn't quite normal. I didn't mm. realize that at the time. Um, but, and I've never been diagnosed since, but, you know, so, but, but, um, but I would say having gone through this with my three children and I've seen a child who's very organized, a child who's normally kind of organized, a one who is very like me, I would say it, it's, it, it's an under-recognized difficulty mm. because, because you, because, I mean, teachers are trying to run a, a kind of whole class and you have one, if you have one child who is that disorganized, who, just can't kind of get the work in on time, even though they want to, or mm. just, you know, just loses their shoes and their, you know, they are, you know, it's exasperating for a teacher. But for a child, it means that you are constantly in trouble without mm. wanting to be oppositional. And it can very easily turn into an oppositional situation with the school. Yes, yes. <laughs> I can imagine. So yeah, that's a long answer. No, no, that's it's, it's a long yeah. answer. Um, it is but it's not as simple as as you know. Some people just think, um, oh, you know, it's just a matter of the child, you know, getting organised themselves. For some children, it just doesn't work like that. And yes, how no. you deal with children who don't fit in is difficult for teachers, but it's profoundly difficult for the child as well so obviously yeah that does sound tough but i suppose you you touched on sort of said some bits were, were great as well you really enjoyed your time there so again was that you know was there a teacher that, that helped with that a teacher you remember having great lessons or fun you know setting fun homework or, or tasks or anything like that there were a few that stood out um one was wonderful miss danishevsky who read uh, book books to us aloud. I mean, I think a lot of the teachers read books aloud, but I particularly remember her reading The Endless Step to me about a little kid in in um, who's growing up in, in a concentration camp in Siberia. And that was like a whoa moment, putting yourself in the mind of somebody mm. else's experience. So teachers who read aloud, uh, but there was one wonderful teacher called Miss Mellows, who I think... Um, who again read aloud a book called Knock Three Times. And I I wrote... You know, Wizards of Once knock three times is a is a is my third book in the Wizards of Once series, and it's a direct memory of that mm. book that that particular teacher read aloud to me. Um, and Miss Mellows, it sounds like a, a, a Miss da a, a Roald Dahl teacher, yes. doesn't it? Like Miss, <laughs> Miss Honey, she was my teacher in year three, and she read aloud um, books, and that's why I have such a big thing about reading aloud um, because I think. Children are often much cleverer than their reading ability allows them to access. And so reading aloud, and whether it's a parent or a teacher, is, is often a way to get children who are really smart, but who struggle with the mechanics of reading, excited about books. Mm. So she read aloud, but she also did something very key for me because I was, my spelling was terrible. My handwriting was appalling. <laughs> um, but she let me have a special book where I could write in that one book, the handwriting and the spelling didn't matter. And so I suppose I was about seven or eight. It was the first time I realized 
that I was a writer. There was something important beyond the handwriting and the spelling. I'd also automatically assumed that, you know, the kid in the class who had the best handwriting, who was called Henrietta Wallace, <laughs> was, I still remember her name, yeah. <laughs> was the one who's... <laughs> and she did wonderful double underlining, I remember. She double yes. underlined, you know. And I thought she was going to be the writer because that was what it seemed to be all about. But with Miss Mellows, I was suddenly allowed to have this book where I could just pour out my ideas. Mm. And that was where I learned to love writing. And it was the first time that that I realised that I could be a writer and that I was just pouring out these stories and Miss Mellows was reading them and saying, was 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 interested in 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 the content of what I was doing rather than the mechanics, mm. which I struggled with. And that's something that I that, that's why I talk so much about children having some space, but that's what I call pure creativity. Mm. You know, I, I was being you know, not not even marked, but she was being given a space to just enjoy writing. Yeah. And I think sometimes that has been really lost in the system. Yeah. I'm not saying here, sometimes I, I, I think people are saying, you know, you, you shouldn't learn the rules, you shouldn't learn phonics, or you shouldn't learn. That is not what I'm saying. I, no. I'm saying, you know, you have to learn the, the rules of things, but there's got to be, it's really important to have some space mm. where children are just allowed to be creative and allowed yeah. to do their natural, you know, drawing and and um, and storytelling. Yeah. And, and was that, how did that come about? And was that just for you that she did that? Did you ask her about that? I mean, did she spot that and give you that, that sort of book to be like that? Because that does sound quite a kind of an, an innovative and, and good way of, like you say, of encouraging and getting that out in a, in a space that was free from the, the usual rules. But how did that all come about? Well, that's the bit that I can't quite remember whether it was just just for me. I do have a memory of her allowing me to write in these special books because I didn't just fill, but she gave me one book, but I then filled in masses of books. You know, I then was yeah. filling them in at a huge rate. And um, uh, I remember doing it during maths. <laughs> so the other children were doing maths and I was able to. So obviously <laughs> she'd given me some, she'd seen some spark that she'd lit in me and she was giving me spe some specialised. I think mm. everybody did have this book, though. I think that's my memory, is that we were all given this special book by, by Miss Mellows, and, and that wasn't marked. And, and, I, you know, and, and I don't think she marked me on the content either, because I, I was often copying the writers that I loved. You know, it wasn't... If I, I've got a few of them, and you don't even... I mean, actually, this is, this is one that I made on my own. This is the actual... You know, you can... Oh, this see. is one of the actual books you're showing me. Well, well, it isn't. It isn't because this is one that I then did in my spare, you know, at home. Oh, right. Because I've lost the ones that Miss mm. Mellows gave me. But but you can see it was the same age, and you can see. Look, I've spelt my name wrong, Cressida. It's oh, actually yes. Cressida yes, with an I. <laughs> Cressida. And you can see the handwriting's a bit scribbly, but I'm drawing the sprites that then became. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. The Wizards of Once writes, and in other books, I was drawing dragons, and yeah, and I was often copying, you know, Enid Blyton because I loved it, you know. So it was like mm. six children, and you know, six and a cat. children, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so th there's nothing in the books if you read them back that said, oh, you know, great writer in the making. This is, you know, often it was highly derivative, and there were certainly no wow words, or you know, it wasn't, uh, but. 
I was learning how to love writing, mm. how to love storytelling. And there's a real value in that. You know, if you think about this, this was there. Then, you know, these books were where I then grew on to write, you know, you know, I learned, learned how to love writing and they then became, you know, How to Train Your Dragon and Wizards of Once. Yeah. And that turned into something solid, you know, book, whole book series and jobs for people, you know, yes, yeah. publishing and, yeah. and films. No, it's, you're absolutely right, isn't it? The knock-on yes. effects. And, and it does the sound knock quite... knock-on effects. It, well, you said earlier, you said when you had those books, you said, I felt like a writer. And you said you meant you were seven years old. I mean... Do you actually actually ha remember having that sense of I want to do this? I, this is this is what I want to be doing in my life, or I can. This is who I am. You know, I'm a writer because that's an amazing thing to have that kind of insight at that age. And, and clearly, it was right, wasn't it? And Miss Mellows giving you that space, as you just said, yes. led to so many great things. Lovely Miss Mellows, who incidentally, this now this is mem this is feeding back into your question: Did she do it for other people? I talked to a journalist who also went, also went to Butte House, and she told me Miss Mellows was a incredibly inspiring teacher for her mm. you know in another way so one teacher's effect on so many children if you think how many children miss mellows would have taught in her career and how many children she would have i bet you sparked and you know the, the debt we owe to wonderful teachers is mm. they have so they touch so many people's lives yeah. and do you um, know do you know did you ever speak to her again since you left do you, does she know the impact she had on you at all, do you know? I have never spoken to Miss Mellows. Do get in touch, Miss Mellows, <laughs> if, if you're listening to this. So no, I can't. I I I don't think um I know, I haven't um I haven't heard from Miss Mellows. I did talk to Miss McDonald's, who I'll talk about later, who is a secondary school teacher who's really affected me. And I was able to thank her, I think. I'm just thinking, um, I think I met her in the park. And oh. so I was able to thank her, which is lovely to have that opportunity. Anyway, but um, what was the question you asked before you said? Oh, just that memory of like, well, first of all, yes, Miss Mellows, if anyone knows her, uh, knows what we're talking yes, about, please. then, then do let her know about this. I'd love to say thank you. You know, and she's responsible for million pound film trilogies <laughs> and <laughs> publishing empires. So. Oh, oh, yes, yes, you were asking. I just remember the question you asked, which was, um, oh, no, I've not forgotten. Yeah, well, I think, I think you're getting the memory of, being, oh, yes. when being I, like when a writer I, at seven When I old. felt like a writer. Yes, it was because Miss Mellows did it. And then my mother um, gave me a, a book and she saw that I loved it. And she, you covered a book in sort of wrapping paper and for me to write stories in and put the name, cut out the name Cressida on the front in, you know. And again, I just thought, yes, this is, you know, this is my book to write my own stories in. And yes, mate, I think I did think, yes. Maybe I can be a writer. Mm. And these these things, you, you, know, you don't think that children are absorbing. They're absorbing unconsciously. I suppose you need to be very careful what you say to children or you need to know how much you're affecting them. Mm. Because little things that you do, yes, I think that those, that combination of things you know, Miss Mello starting it, me finding these books, my mother giving me a book with my name on it, say, you know, cutting it out in beautiful letters, Cressida. I think I thought, yes, this is something I can do. I love this. And, you know, I, um, yeah, um, it was very important. I mean, that's a lovely set of memories of Miss Mellows and what she did for you and, and, and the creativity and your sort of, yes, I, this is what I want to do. And 
I don't know if there's any more in primary school on that or going into secondary school, you know, again, were you able to continue that sort of creative outlet or were there teachers there that helped then develop that further? Or you remember subjects that helped you sort of continue that? Or indeed, were there other subjects that you just particularly loved as well? Physics or, you know, history or anything like that? Oh, I loved history. I mean, I was very enthusiastic about everything. I have to Mm. say, I was really keen to learn and interested in everything. I loved biology, fascinated by how the human body worked and and um, uh, and history, Latin, adored Latin. Mm. It's like a made-up language. <laughs> I, mean, I was very, very interested in everything I was being taught. Mm. Um, uh, I wasn't naturally good at maths or, or any of the sciences, bit lost. Again, I got in much more trouble in secondary school <laughs> for, for not adding things in time <laughs> and and for not knowing which lessons I was in and uh, and and that was really difficult um, and made me very unhappy. But I loved the actual the actual learning. I, I had a teacher called Miss Aurelia, whose whose father were, this is English, whose father wrote the Silver Sword, a wonderful book called the Silver Sword. Ian Aurelia. Mm. About children who um, are, are living in Warsaw, in I think they're hiding underground um, in Warsaw. Anyway, she encouraged me um, in in the creative writing, um, and I had a wonderful history teacher called Miss McDonald, who used to used to set projects like Imagine You Are a Viking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can imagine what fun I had yeah. with that. <laughs> um, and again, that was, and she was more, she was more understanding if I, if I handed something in three weeks late, but kind of practically a whole story. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I would, again, go, you know, you know, she, I think Miss, Mel, was it Miss McDonald also did, imagine you are um, traveling to America in, you know, the 17th century and where, where would you go? And or, she she would have us writing mm. creative writing in history, and and of course for me that was that was wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a great, so, that's a great. And there lesson seemed task. to be yeah, that's a great lesson task, and 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 there seemed to be more flexibility um, in in you being able to do these kinds of things, which of course would never be. There were no exams for that, um, but but that was where I got my real inspiration, um, and I love the sciences as well. It's just uh, I wasn't very, I was very very not very good at them. Yes, yes. No, I can I can empathise with that as well. I'll be honest. Um, yeah, um, but um, but but yes, um, and I left St Paul's at sixteen because they. As I say, I, I love the feminism of St Paul's. It was a very, and it was a place that really taught you to think for yourself. Um, both Butin and, and St Paul's were very good about that. Um, they taught you to think for yourself. And so, uh, but they were also very academic. And what was valued, I felt in that school, was the sciences and the professions. And art, which was a subject that I'm very interested in, um, wasn't I didn't feel particularly valued at the school. An example of this was I wanted to take art and history of art and English um, and history at A level. And they said I was an academic child, so I shouldn't be studying art <laughs> because it wasn't an academic subject. 
And so I thought for myself, and I moved <laughs> to a school that did think that art was, <laughs> was an important subject. So I moved to Marlborough College and, and I studied the same subjects. Um, and where there, art was at the heart of the school. You know, a third of the children took art at A-level. And there I met another very inspirational teacher called Robin Child, who was the art teacher, who is just in, in, incredibly inspiring um, about art. You know, but it's, isn't that ridiculous, though? You know, this is something we do need to think about. Um, you know, a child who I go on to use, I'm an, I'm an illustrator. You know, I, 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 I go on to, I went on to write and illustrate my own books. I mean, I, I use it in everything I do. Um, it, it, these two things are not exclusive. You can be an academic child <laughs> and still study art. I mean, oh, yeah, I, I hope that we've moved on from that. Um, and I ended up going to Oxford to read English, um, but I also went to art school uh, and I ended up doing an MA in narrative illustration at, at Brighton. So um, I think there's, 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 there is still a problem with thinking of art subjects as, as not um, a career, you should be going going into, or is not as not as important um, uh, for future careers and for the future <laughs> for the future of the country, even, mm. um, which which is not sensible. I mean, the creative industries make a hundred billion pounds a year for the UK, over a hundred billion pounds mm. a year for the UK. So it, it's sensible to. You know, think, 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 think that students, you know, to take that seriously. Um, and it worries me that history of art—you can't take history of art as an A level. Well, yeah, it's an interesting point, that isn't it? Because, like you say, the, the the economic benefit of art is actually huge, if not always fully understood. Like creative industries, as you say, that's a term that has a lot of traction, I think, now. But art—I think too many people would see it as thinking of painting and drawing, which obviously is a part of it. But it's so much more than that, isn't it? And as you touched on there, it's also has like a well-being component and it's something that yeah you know has so many ways it can benefit someone both academically and, and in later life and everything so yeah interesting to see if how that does develop in terms so i wonder if i wonder if the pandemic might have changed that you know will more young people have spent more time being creative or or realizing mm -hmm. that that's an outlet for them and, and turning to that in their future studies i mean i guess we'll have to wait and see but yeah it's, it's a very interesting area to think about and talk about yeah, I and mean, I think, and it's not talked about enough. I mean, that's mm. a huge amount of the creative industry that they make for the UK. And then there's a knock-on effect to the tourism industries. And you know, we punch way over our weight with regard to the creative industries. Um, you know, we export more books than any other country in the world, and that's our only export, of which that is true. Mm. And I don't hear people talking about that enough. And as I say, there's a, then a knock-on effect to our heritage industries, our tourism in industries. And so we need to start taking these things seriously. And I haven't, haven't seen that so much. I, you know, that not a, and also, we, you know, we know the link between, for instance, music and maths. Um, you know, there's a, there's a link between mm. people's facility in music. And, and, you know, so being taught creative subjects can have an, a, a knock-on effect in the in, in the scientific subjects or the mathematical subjects. So I, 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 I am very keen on seeing a, 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 um, an, un, an increased understanding of the importance of 
creative subjects in in schools mm. um not just you know for children like me personally but just because i think i think that's it that's it i think internationally for the first time is it called pisa or pina what are they oh, yeah, PISA, yeah. for the first time creativity is going to become a measure in those tests and so that's going to be interesting mm. as well to see whether yeah whether yeah. we're going to start valuing those subjects This seems like a perfect place also to bring in your um, the Life Changing Libraries project, which you announced recently. And obviously that's what touches in a similar area, doesn't it? Like the importance of making sure there's good library provision in primary schools for, for young people. So they have access to books, to, to read, to you know, be inspired you know, in a way like you were as well. And, you know, talk a little bit about that. I mean, why why do you feel like that was so important to, to sort of raise now? And, and you obviously, you know, you had your open letters to the government signed by, you know, some seriously heavyweight children's authors. I mean, how did that all come about? Why do you think that is clearly something you clearly think is important? But why now do you think it's important that we, we sort of bring that to the fore? It's always been important. And, and the, 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 all the statistics, we've known these statistics um, for uh, decades. You know, the two key factors in a kid's later economic success, let alone their happiness or their educational success or anything else, are one, reading for pleasure, and two, parental involvement in education. Mm. And that cuts across all socioeconomic backgrounds. But how can a kid read for pleasure if their parents can't afford books, um, if there isn't a public library or they can't go to the public library and there isn't a library in their primary school? Mm. It's just an impossibility. So uh, it's absolutely vital. <laughs> I mean, the ch all children, the, the latest <laughs> report on school library provision in primary schools is that children on free school meals are twice as likely to be in a school without a library. Mm. How does that make sense? That it just isn't sensible. Um, you know, ha, ha, <laughs> I think the answer, if you, you can't even ask the question now, does your primary school have a library? One in eight schools don't have a library. You can't even ask, ask the question, you know, who's in, do you have a librarian? You have to say, is there a person designated in your school for a reading the pleasure culture and for a room, you know, dedicated mm. to reading for pleasure. And even then, the answer is only 38% of primary schools have that person. It just doesn't make sense. Ofsted has, has just now made reading for pleasure part of, they, they now, you know, have recognised the importance mm. of reading for pleasure. But we need urgently, particularly with the pandemic, you know, when we know that the least advantaged children have been the most effective, we need to make that available to all children urgently. Because it's complicated. Getting children reading for pleasure nowadays is, is it's tricky. You need, you need a school library. You need mm. people in every school who, who know how to do that, to get the right books into the hands of the right child at the right time. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it just isn't fair. <laughs> it yeah, just no. isn't fair. And and I've asked for ring fence money. You know, we we you know, three, I've asked for 100 million pounds a year, which sounds a lot, but it isn't. And uh, in the grand scheme of things, 300 million pounds a year is ring fence for, for sport. But 
you know, it doesn't make sense because, you know, employers are not going to be looking. <laughs> I'm not saying let's take that away. You know, health and sport is still important, but you've got to bear in mind that employers are going to be looking for literate employees. They're mm. not going to be looking for netballing skills necessarily. <laughs> I mean, literacy, it's so key to mm. literacy that we, you know, that all children are, 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 are given this opportunity. So it's a, it's a fairness issue, but it's also, you know, so I, and, I, and then I've set, I'm setting up six school uh, libraries and six very different primary schools to showcase what a reading for pleasure culture can do in these schools um, yeah. at the same time. Um, because also it's not just the, about the books, it's also about the resources. It's about, you know, um, ha- having, you know, it's about having the expertise as well of, of a person who, you know, who, who, who has those library skills. Yeah. And, is and just teaches- to show you, this is my first book that I've ever wrote, um, which is called Little Bo Peep's Library Book. Oh, excellent. Um, which is an introduction to the library for small children. So this is something that has been a passion of mine for a very long time. Oh, yeah, that's um, great. Yeah. Yeah. And what's that, what's that called again, sorry? Little Bo Little Peep's Bo Peep. Library Book. Library Book, which excellent. is an introduction to, to a library which I wrote 20 years ago. So I've always been. Yeah, well, quite clearly. And you can hear it. It's clearly how it matters to you and, and quite rightly so. And do you, is there anything teachers listening to this particularly, can they get involved or is there anything they can do to sort of help support the campaign or sort of get their voice in, into it in yes, a way they can do that? absolutely. Please follow us on um, uh, the hashtags life, life-changing libraries, but also Book Trust. If you go into Book Trust's website, um, we're you can follow what we're doing in these six different primary schools. You could certainly, um, yeah, show your support, please, by um, retweeting mm. um, with the, the and and many people have changed their sort of little profile thing on to the life changing library logo. We just we we need we need. I'm hoping it's going to be part of um, the new package for literacy that it that is being announced um mm. uh you know that 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 would be wonderful something specifically for for, for primary school libraries yeah yeah well it's, mm. it's a fantastic campaign and obviously i'm quite sure that everyone listening given our audience will, will agree with it and i mean it, you, you touched it, i thought it was very interesting when you first announced the campaign that, that the economic argument was so central because i think so many people look at reading so much as oh yes it's nice to read and it's good for you and, and it's but actually if we're going to try to make this a, a point, it's like, you need to say actually it has lifelong economic, you know, benefits. And if yes. that's the way to get the message across to the people in the corridors of power, then then so be it. And actually the evidence shows that it, it works, doesn't it? Yes. And it's 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 interesting how because it's quite a complicated message. How I think lots of people firstly don't realise that not all schools have a library. Mm. You know, secondly, they don't you know, there isn't the joined up thinking, as you say, that of course you know, you need, you need literacy skills in order to be employed, you know, and if you look at the statistics, 75% of, of, of people in prisons have a learning difficulty, you know, or were excluded from school. Mm. I think that the amount of people in prison who were excluded from school at some point, it, because, because they had, you know, uh, is huge. Um, so all of these things have knock-on economic effects effects for every percentage point that your literacy goes up you're more likely to vote you're more likely to own your own home 
you know, you're more likely to be happier. If you, as soon as you look at the statistics, you see how important reading and mm. writing and reading for pleasure is. Um, but it's very hard to get that message across and to make people understand how unevenly this is distributed across the UK. Mm. You know, some primary schools have wonderful libraries. Some some have wonderful school library library services. But it's it's just this should be for everyone. There should be there there should be no way of of people just falling through the net, and that isn't the case right now. And mm. I don't think people realise that it's it's the case. Yeah. Well, the Life Changing Libraries project obviously is is looking to address that, and it's certainly a campaign that we at Tes will you know be following and, and sort of keeping an eye on. Obviously, look forward to hearing updates on how it's going. So yeah, you know, do keep us informed, and it's a great initiative. Yeah, and I think it's very important to say that this money should be separate because I'm very aware of the pressure on schools. <sighs> there is the pressure on schools to at the moment to, on their school budgets. And I think that that's po- probably why the the schools where the children need it the most are the ones least likely to mm. have a, 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 an effective school library. Yeah. Um, so that's why we need to take it out. I'm incredibly sympathetic to teachers and um, the, the head teachers and and the situation they they found themselves in. Yeah. It's it's really tough. Um, so that's why I've asked for the money to be separate. We're hoping to collate the research from from the six primary school libraries that we've set up these um, these amazing gold standard libraries, as it were. Um, we're. We're hoping to collate the research to show what an effect it has on not only pupils' educational attainment, but also their their mental well being and their happiness and. Um, other measures as well. Yeah. yeah, that sounds really important. The whole reading for pleasure. Yeah, it takes a village to raise a reader. Right. That's my motto. And how we're able to get parents involved um, and with some of the problems, for instance, you know, children starting primary school, you know, a year behind sometimes in their in their literacy and communication skills or their, you know, basically... Um, they, they, those kind of things we're trying to address through libraries as well as as well as getting children reading for pleasure. If we move on then and go back in a way to your school days, um, oh, yes. do you do you have, uh, when you look back particularly at secondary, do you have any memories of great sort of trips or trips abroad? Did you do anything like good like that that you remember particularly? We didn't do very many school trips back in the 1970s. Yeah, no, I don't really know. I didn't. We did one trip to the Isle of Wight, um, I I think, in in primary school. And I can't really remember. I think we did fish, went to Fishbourne for Latin, and which I loved, of course, you know. um, uh, But... I don't think we did half as many school trips as children do now. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why that was. Well, you probably know more. You interview people the whole time. Do people do? Did people do school uh, trips? Yeah, I mean, people have memories of, of various ones of going to Belgium and and um, French exchange trips seem to come up quite a lot and things like that. But um, Claire Bolding went had a trip to Russia that her school did. That was quite interesting. My goodness! Yeah, it's just, which is I think that's probably the furthest destination we've had so far. Um, the Isle of Wight came up actually quite recently. Somewhere, I think Shappy Cassandy said she went to the Isle of Wight on a school trip, which gets <laughs> not. So maybe that was it. Maybe that was the the, the place to go. You know. <laughs> yeah, and no, I can't really remember. 
uh, any school fruit chips under the, other than the Isle of Wight. I yeah, it just wasn't a thing. No, fair but, enough. Fair but there was it, that was in that was in keeping with the 1970s, though, where it was much more. There was much less sort of extracurricular activities. There was more time to be bored, which is actually quite <laughs> quite creative time mm. to be bored. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, no, I can't really remember. No. Okay. Fair enough. I can and, remember the school plays. Oh well, I was just going to ask about that. Plays. I was going to say, did you take part in plays? Did you ever write? school play that was put on I know there's something some people have talked about that or did you perform yes I loved acting I love performing and that's actually part of my job now as well I mean you, you're sort of performing when you're writing a book mm. I'm imagining it being read aloud and um so I love performing I loved acting and I, 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 <laughs> at, at home I mean I did a lot in school but at home I would put on whole performances because we were Oh, we spent all the summers on this island, long story, um, uninhabited island with no telly. And so I would um, put on, yeah, whole plays and get the, my siblings and cousins mm. all the acting. And um, I remember, yes, I remember I had one problem with a play that I put on called The Grey Thing, which I had a problem because I was not only the heroine, Princess Cristantia, but also the villain, the grey thing. <laughs> so I often had to do very quick costumes. <laughs> Um, I think I was quite a bossy little girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, at school, yes, I remember that we put on musicals. Um, uh, oh, we did. Oh, we did one of Pinocchio, and um, yeah, I was in a lot of plays. And at secondary school, we were in uh, Oh, What a Lovely War. That was so moving because a whole load of sixteen and seventeen-year-olds putting on Oh, What a Lovely War when you know they were the same age mm. um, as the children who were dying out on, 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 the, on, the, on the battlefront in the yeah. First World War. All the grown-ups, all the adults were sobbing <laughs> when they, when they um, watched that one. Um, so I loved all the plays and all the, all the theatre. And again, these, these so-called soft subjects teach you so many skills for, for life. Mm. You know, I do a huge amount of present, presenting and... You know, teachers do it. You know, if you're in business, you have to perform, you have to present, yeah. don't you? Um, well, that's funny. It taught me a lot. Num no, no, they always say the number one, people's number one fear is the fear of public speaking, which is always sort of, I mean, yes, speaking in public is a little bit nerve-wracking, but a bit like you, I've done enough to sort of, I'm fairly comfortable doing it. And, and it strikes me, as like I say, it, just, it, it seems like an overplayed fear. It's like, it's not that. If you, if you just have the, the opportunity to learn it, particularly in school, like to do something like yours in there, to perform or to speak to an audience or something, actually, as you say, a, a really useful skill to have in the locker for the rest of your oh life. Oh, my goodness. That's a, that's, a, that's a really important skill. I mm. completely agree, which it possibly isn't given enough um, a, a attention for. I mean, maybe it's because I, I use it. My, my dad so, taught me something very good. Um, at my, my granny's funeral, I had to give a you know a reading mm. and he made and I was a bit terrified because I'm I'm very emotional and I love my granny and he made me sit next to him in the pew at church because he knew I was going to crumble and so I turned to him halfway through this is I don't know I turned to him halfway through and said I don't think I can do this and he just he turned around and he said you have to do it <laughs> and I just thought oh okay, I have to do it. <laughs> so, so I then got up and, and did it. And I didn't cry. And I got through the whole thing to the end. Um, oh, I think it was, it was so moving. Um, Greater Than Rubies is a, is a woman of 
Oh, anyway, yes. Um, it was a really moving kind of reading. I got through it without crying. And it taught me something. I've, I've sat going live on BBC Breakfast thinking, oh, this is a bit scary. And I've just had my dad's voice saying, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> and I've gone out there and done it. So it is. And, and then after a while, you just forget to be scared. Why? You know, what are we frightened of? What are we frightened of being, you know? And, mm. and I used to think, you know, doing these big talks at the Hay Festival to a thousand people or something or going live on radio. I used to be scared. But now I've given up being scared because what's the point? Mm. (laughs) This doesn't really matter. Who cares? And I think I wish, you know, I I think that's such an important skill to learn. Whatever. I know that's unusual. But most jobs, you have to do that, don't you? You Mm. have to do. And... And actually, that's something that you can you can really learn yeah. at school. What do they do in America? Show and tell. <laughs> yes, that's the classic, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you learn that at school? Well, we didn't. But I mean, I just remember, I just remember look, looking back and thinking there were actually quite a lot of opportunities and times when we were asked to present or, or do something to the class or you know or just just enough times to make you think like you weren't allowed to just sit on the sidelines. You know, you had to sort of step up. And actually, I've gone on to do lots of public speaking things in my in, in jobs and and not I wouldn't say I learned it all from school obviously you know I learned I learned being older and practicing at home and going in and doing the speech whatever it was but I never had that complete fear factor about it and I sort of feel like that, that probably has some link to just being getting used to standing in front of people and talking your, and particularly your mm. classmates who are like the toughest audience you'll ever have right you know who's going to rip you apart more because most people actually to your point when you speak publicly when you watch someone else you don't just sit there going made a mistake, made a mistake. I'll go and tell them about that afterwards. You just go, oh yeah, that was interesting. This is this is a good talk. Yeah, 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 People aren't yes. watching to catch you out and go and uh, tell no. you afterwards, but we have that f- voice, don't you? Sometimes that, oh, it will be a disaster and everyone will laugh at me. It's like, they won't. They'll just listen to what you say and go, hmm, uh, interesting. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, is, that is such a good lesson as well. And people aren't concentrating on you as much as you think no, they are. No, exactly, yeah. You, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, you're not as important <laughs> as you think you are. Yeah. You're not as important <laughs> as you think you are. Yeah. <laughs> Final question I want to ask though is that you, you talked about the teacher in your secondary school, uh, Miss McDonald, and, and history teacher, and she set the task about pretend you're a Viking, imagine you're a Viking, and that kind of stuff. And, and did you again have you ever gone back to that school and, and seen her or any of the teachers there again? Given what you went on to do and the, and the House Train Your Dragon trilogy, particularly, I mean, again, have you been back to talk to them about any of that? Do they know the sort of that, that impact they had in that way? Miss McDonald. Well, I was very lucky to bump into Miss McDonald in the park. So right, I'm yes. Safer, because I still, I now live in London near where that school was. Um, so I was able to tell her and I think she was so pleased. She was so pleased, no, because I think it's often, it's a bit, I mean, luckily as a, as a writer, a children's book writer, people often uh, feed back to you how much you've um, meant to them or how much the books have meant to them. because. And, and you're very lucky with that because um, because otherwise you're in your writing shed, kind of writing away, and you're not seeing the effect. But I think teachers have that less, you know, don't they? Because there's less of a kind of forum for for, for ex pupils to come mm. back. So it was lovely to be able to say to her, and I think she was really pleased um, uh, to say how much you know it had it it had meant to me. And and my art teacher. Um, Mr. Child at second, this again was at the, in sixth form. I was able, because he's, his daughter is a friend of mine. I was able to tell him very much 
Um, so, but Miss Mellows, seriously, if you're listening, yes. <laughs> do get in contact. Yes. I, would, I would love to tell you um, how how much how much it meant. Um, uh, and actually, I was um, I was able to give a prize. There's a, there's an award ceremony for teachers, which I was really happy to be a part of. Um, now I've forgotten what the award ceremony is called. You probably know what that awards ceremony. Well, it depends. Um, if, it was, if it was a rival organisation, I probably wouldn't oh, say oh, it. Anyway, so but... sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so sorry. I'm so sorry. If it's not Tesla. I was we're not really able. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, that's not true. Sorry, that's not true, but, but you know what I, I, mean. can't, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> um, uh, the awards ceremony. But that was lovely as well because I just think you know teachers are heroes. They are heroes, and we. It's so important that their value, their work is valued because they have such an effect on on so many mm. children's lives. And so it's lovely to have something like that, um, an award ceremony, recognising how important teachers are. Um, and it was like I just gave a gave a prize at one of those ceremonies, and I just thought this is great to have a sort of glamorous occasion, recognising you know the work at work of wonderful teachers because people do so much that's what I'm very as a children's book writer you go you see a lot of schools and you see a lot of teachers and you just see how over you know how how much teachers are putting in mm. um and I you know we've all read about it in the pandemic as well teachers you know um how how, how much they put in you know often teachers have been homeschooling their own children at the same time yes. as well yeah um so, uh, yeah, so it's lovely to have the opportunity to say thank you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Well, yeah, hopefully, so if, if Miss Mellows or someone who knows her can, can put her in touch or hope that she hears that, that'd be, that'd be lovely. And, um, there's, yeah, there's been a real split of people who have had that opportunity to see their former teachers and some who, who haven't and have sort of issued a similar, like, if you're out there, you know, I hope you hear this kind of message. So I, ho- I hope they do. But, you know, thank you overall because there's been some lovely, both lovely memories and, and reminiscing of, of school and clearly the impact it has, but also I think some important things we've talked about, about, the future of school and, and the important things that need to be addressed and why they matter so much. I think it's, it's really nice to get that balance and, and sort of look to the future as much as, as to the past. So, you know, thank, thank you again. And um, good luck with the rest of the project. You know, keep us informed. Tez will be keen to hear more about the Life Changing Libraries project and how it develops and go from there. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>